0: Race Fuels is Australia's leading supplier of racing fuels. And with the new Bowser's at Queensland Raceway, it's never been easier to source your racing fuel trackside. Elf Race 102 is imported racing fuel direct from Europe. Offering power and protection, the Elf Race 102 is a popular fuel with racers seeking gains over pump fuel. Improve your lap times with Elf Race 102. Racefuels.com.au for all your fuel at the racetrack. This is the Race Fuels Grassroots Racing Podcast and your hosts, Darren Smith and Gary O'Brien. Well, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Race Fuels Grassroots Racing Podcast, episode 38. For those of you who've just joined us, where have you been? What's going on? We've had 37 prior to this one but boy oh boy the rest of them have just been the drum roll up to this one and i say that because my guest has been from bathurst to the gold coast to bathurst again he'll be heading off to uh the uh adelaide this weekend so the crowning glory in the bathurst gold coast uh, trips uh, gary o'brien welcome to episode number 38 mate thanks Darren. it's great to be back again number 38 we've got a long time haven't we and uh, yeah, there's still a little bit going on. We're getting towards the end of the season
1: where Christmas will be on us before we even know what's happening,
0: certainly. Will and um, without too much further ado, as I said, the, the rest of the uh, the, the 37 prior have just been like a, a crescending drum roll, haven't they? To this one, well, I've been looking forward to this one. <laughs> he's a guy, he's pretty
1: hard to track down because he's all over the place, but he's had uh. Uh, races at Bathurst he's a six-time national championship winner and um, he keeps promising he's going to come back and do some more it's Kerry Bailey. G'day fellas
2: thank you for having me on here and it's only taken 37 previous episodes to get me
0: wonderful. It it has too and boy we've had some rock stars in the the lead up Kerry but uh, thank you very much for walking up to the microphone and uh, leading the way in the grassroots racing podcast it's as Gary has just said, it's fantastic. Uh, actually, in the meantime, while we're waiting for you, Tony Ricadello has managed to rack up another Australian championship to his uh, his total. But uh, it's great to have you on here, an, an absolute stalwart and legend of of Australian motorsport. We're absolutely wrapped. Gary's Gary's frothing at the mouth, ready to start to tell stories tall and long uh, in the next hour or so. I can only imagine. <laughs> As this is a, a grassroots racing podcast, that we like to start off right back at the very beginning, right back, your very, very first memory when you uh, walked or crawled or wheeled your way into a, a racetrack or a rally stage or a speedway or whatever it was, your, your very first memory of, uh, of getting involved with motorsport or your very first memory and where that was.
2: I remember it very well, actually. It was back in the days when there was a radio sitting on the fridge and there was no televisions. Dad used to uh, tell me at breakfast every Monday morning how Jack Brabham went in the Formula One. So that must have been 1959, 1960. and always had an interest. And then I conned mum one day into taking me out to Baskerville in Tassie. And uh, I, I had an interest as well before that because just a kilometre or two up the road, there was Darrell Wilcox and Tony Calvert. There were big sports sedan races down there in those days, and yeah, that's how it all started. So I had an interest, and then um, when I had enough money, I went and found a a car and looked all over Australia for one. And exactly one mile down the road, it was sitting in a service station. So I bought that, and away we went.
0: What when you walked up to the the, the track at Baskerville with mum? What was on? What was going around the track that grabbed your uh, grabbed your interest? <laughs>
2: Just the saloon cars always interested me, but I remember Bruce Gowans had a Lotus 23B and he was setting lap record out there time after time. And I was pretty amazed how quick this car was. It was doing 57.3, I think in those days. And, um, yeah, I thought I'd love to do this, but dad was anti-race cars because it was going to cost too much money and, and mum was pretty neutral on it. But, uh, I bought one anyway, much to their disgust, and away I went. So, yeah, the, the sedan cars always interested me.
1: So what was this car that you started out in, and um, how how was it developed, or what did you do with it in the time you had
2: it? Well, the car originally came from the mainland. It was a Gowan-Heindorf car back in the day, and uh, a fellow that had a service station in the town I lived, he bought it, never really did much with it. And then I got it and it was a bit of a rocket and needed a fair bit of work doing to it. But, um, yeah, over time we improved it and it was interesting, actually. In um, seven years, we improved the lap times by six seconds, which was a pretty good effort, I thought. And, yeah, it was an actually one Tirana, alloy-headed, probably 300 horsepower. But, um, yeah, it taught me a lot.
1: Who were you racing against? In uh, Obviously, Simmers Plains and Baskerville were the two tracks you were Mainly uh, competing at,
2: Yeah, absolutely. Although we did go to um, Victoria in uh, 1982. But, um, yeah, the sports races. Brocky used to come down and run one of the BMD autos cars. Um, there were local legends, uh, Darrell Wilcox especially. He was very quick. And uh, he was a neighbour up the road, never helped me that much because he had all these secrets he wouldn't tell me. But, yeah, it was just good <laughs> racing. There was level, um, so what? Division one and division two, it was called. There were probably 40 or 50 cars there racing, um, in those days in that, uh, sports sedan field. It was just great fun. So,
0: so the, the, yeah, the from,
1: Sorry, guys. Sorry, Daz. Uh, certainly a bit different from what today is because sports sedans went through a very much of a lull in the upper isle, but now it's starting to make a little bit of a comeback. Um, The Tarana, was it uh, it a six-cylinder car, I gather, and you're running in the six-cylinder series that they used to do down there?
2: Yeah, there was a sports sedan race, and then there was the six-cylinder series, and it was pretty big. There was a lot of cars out there. We had a great time, and the camaraderie was brilliant, and, yeah, we had fun, but there was just a lot of cars in that division. Then they tapered off to very little, and now they're coming back a little bit. So, yeah, interesting how it all happens. This is sort of 1980 we're talking about, I guess. 1977, actually. What was it? February 6,
1: 1977. So you ran that car right up to, as you said, you went to the mainland in 1982, running the sports sedan GT championship. Uh, That would have been against some of the big bangers in those days.
2: Oh, yeah, there was no way of beating them. But we went to Calder and Winton. Winton was so damn rough. It was unbelievable. But, um, yeah, we raced against them. And then I sold it in 1985 and built the Supra. And away we went. In fact, they were talking of closing Baskerville down. And the Supra was originally built as a 6 cylinder. So with the talk of um, the Southern Track being closed down, I put a V8 in it and um, we came to Sandown in 1987, and actually we went right. Quite surprising.
0: Kerry, just going back to the, the start of getting the Tirana, how, how was it you, you funded those early racing days in your career?
2: I was fortunate to have saved a lot of money, but then I went abalone diving, which solved any money problems, and uh, away we went. I was very lucky. The diving was very lucrative. And again, we had a lot of fun in that. There was 120 divers and we were at the wonderful stage of our lives. All, everyone was uh, really young and just had a wonderful time.
0: Was there, um, was there any you know, people on your crew or your team or those that helped with the preparation of the car that you, you were with right up until you know, the, the, the Aston Martin and the, the series he won in 2012? Or was there just random yeah. different lots of people along the way?
2: There were, a, there were a few people there to help me, but I did, did do all the preparation myself. It wasn't that hard. And then on race day, I'd have a couple of people come out. But uh, I didn't have a, a permanent crew until we took the super to the mainland in 1987. And Andy Farr came on board and a, another fellow by the name of Paul Monahan, And we were just... Uh, a good bunch and we all enjoyed it very much. And then Andy stayed with me right till the end of the Aston Martin days. He missed one meeting in 30 years, which I think was a very good effort.
0: It certainly is that, that you've already touched on it, the camaraderie around the pit and paddock area. And and I guess the, um, it's not just in your team, it's other teams. It's great blokes you've met along the way in the media, like Gary O'Brien and, and different bits and pieces. It's certainly a, uh, a big family affair, if you want to put it that way, that that really stops being a family once the, the, the lights change at the start of the race, isn't
2: it? Yeah, it is. But I, everyone's pretty respectful at the end of the day. It's all right to have a bitter race with somebody and and all, but at, at the end of the day, we're there for fun and everyone's pretty respectful. There's not too many enemies out there.
1: Yeah, just before you the Supra came along, I noticed that you had a couple of starts at Baffys. How did all that... Uh come about
2: yeah i remember that now that's a long time ago um 1983 (laughs) with john
1: donnelly in a falcon and then in 1988 with chris lambden in a commodore
2: yeah there was a few others in there 96 uh 19 what was it 96 97 with max Um, that was
1: later uh, i'm talking about before the supra
2: 86 87 as well. Um, I just got a phone call one day and he wanted a co driver, and away we went. But I never got to drive the car, they lost an engine about lap 30. That was, in the, 83, in the the yep, yeah, that's what it was. And then, um, because Ian Harrington was involved with roadways in those days, there was a fellow by the name of Ray Ellis who was getting his car prepared at roadways. And uh, I got to drive that year, and then Chris Lambden bought the uh. Bathurst winning, uh, what was it VL, and um, we ran that up there and had a little fuel problem all the race and we didn't do that well. But uh, yeah, it was great fun.
1: Finished thirteenth. Can't can't complain about that.
2: Yeah, the thing wouldn't empty the fuel tank. It, it you could only use about half the fuel, and it was I think the first days of uh, fuel injection for memory. And uh, uh,
1: that car would have been fuel injected. Yeah, yeah, was it was a walk and
2: yeah, well um, it wasn't when Brock won Bathurst with it. No, it was a carburetor car then. That's it. So they converted yeah. it and it was early days of fuel injection. So they were still yeah. learning. But of course our car had to be the dud with the fuel problem.
0: <laughs> so it was the and was yeah. wasn't the fuel system that won the, the race the year before with the the number 10, I guess, that uh that Landon bought the car off Brock the, the, that year.
2: Um yeah, well so it was a carburetor car then, so it was completely different. They had changed a lot of things on it. There was um, a body kit on it as well, wasn't it? It was. It was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also had a run at uh, Bathurst in 87 with Tony Cavage in the Yellow Pages car.
1: Uh, I would have met you about that time, I would have thought.
2: Yes, that's when it all started, Gary. Yes.
0: <laughs> that's <laughs> never been romance. the same since. <laughs> <laughs> what a romance. Hey, can yeah. I just take you back to the, the, the XD when you went up there with, with Donnelly and it, the, the car made it in... 30 laps, you would have obviously have to turn some laps in practice and qualifying. What was it, you know, anyone that's been to Bathurst, the first thing you say is, what was it like lapping Bathurst for the first time? Was it, and you know, the track was pretty agricultural still in the early 80s. It's not as, as beautiful and magnificent as it is these days. It was a still a pretty bumpy old ride. Um. Yeah, I didn't mind it too much. It wasn't that
2: noticeable because you didn't appreciate safety so much then and I didn't really notice it from the safety perspective. Um, yeah, it was all right. It didn't worry me too much. The uh, the car wasn't overly quick, but we had a good time.
1: you got to remember, Daz said he went to Winton before all that. That was where it was rough.
2: Oh, well, Winton and Calder was something terrible in those days. They were just so rough, and we broke the final drive in the Tirana at Calder and then I know we did something at Winton. It was just a shocker. I don't know how they raced on it. I've never seen anything like it in my life.
0: Well, I can report um, Kerry, after racing restarted at Calder a couple of weeks ago with the Victorian State Championships, it's unchanged. (laughs) It
2: couldn't be as bad as it was back then in 82, August 82. And it was interesting after we were there, somebody stole the dozer there one night and went round the track with the ripper down and destroyed the track. So I gather it was resurfaced after that, so it was probably the best thing that's ever happened.
0: Yeah, I, had, Baldwin, not heard, I had not heard that story, Kerry. That's uh, that's an interesting one there.
2: Uh, I, I think it was on the news one night how some vandal got in and ripped the track up, but they might have claimed insurance, you never know. Yeah.
1: Yeah, think yeah so it might have been a, track. been a stock tape. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> but if we'll you're careful here. we'll have a uh yeah. against us.
0: Yes, I didn't mention any race, creed, or colour. Hey, Kerry, the, just going back to that one in 1988. The two is one thousand with Chris Lamden. How did um, you know? I mean, Chris was fairly high profile on it. Correct me if I'm wrong. That was in the Bow Repairs um, yep. car. That that how did that one come about?
2: Oh, through roadways again with Les Small and Ian Harrington, and uh, yeah, Chris needed a co-driver, and that's how it all happened
0: okay. Because Steve Harrington would have been in the STP car with with Gricey at that point, wouldn't he? No, that was later. That was earlier. Earlier, wasn't the VH yeah. days? Yeah, VK. Yeah. yeah.
2: Because Steve did run with Larry there one year, didn't he? That was in the VL. Wasn't yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, that might... was in the
0: Bob Jane Mart's car. They won Sandown that year. Made the yeah, shootout as well. Now let's get um, let's get into the real Kerry Bailey that that Australian motorsport knows and loves, and we, we've already touched on it that you built a Supra, and um, you immediately came to the national series and, and started to go about building the uh, the legend, the icon of uh, of sports sedans, and, and that uh, that you first your first let's say real contender in the in the Supra.
2: Yeah, I built the Supra in Tassie and um, yeah, I didn't really know what I was up to, but I would uh, had a look at Bob Jones' Bob Monza, which is now Deswall's um, Supra. So I, I copied pretty well a, everything out of that, all the basics of it anyway, and, and uh, bought a transaxle and away we went with it. It was um, a pretty simple car really, but it worked quite well
1: you'll have to tell us a story about the uh, the little sack that was carried on the front of it
2: uh gary 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 i wasn't expecting this
0: <laughs> it oh, was come a certain on.
2: nick it was a certain nickname somebody had and we found a little let's call it pouch or purse in the dust at Baskerville one day and it was um fitting that it should go on the front of the car that the driver had a similar name, so we won't, won't go too much further. <laughs> but thanks for bringing it up. Well, people would
0: ask, have to do this. It's and and it. Kerry, it was you that said pouch and or purse. So, uh, we'll, we'll, you know, you've already opened up the can of worms there.
2: Well, I have, but I thought it was the better word to use than the proper word. But, yeah, it was funny. And it was so many people wondered what it was until they felt it. <laughs> <laughs> there'll be a few out there know what you're talking about but anyway
0: <laughs> we do have quite a lot of the sports and fraternity that listen regularly carry so yes they'll be having a little giggle to themselves on their uh on their next trip to the race meetings i would suggest
2: probably but the nickname sort of um doesn't come out as much anymore it might be an age-related thing but uh Anyway, it was, right up it was until, funny, I until
0: I call, a, right up until I call a sports sedan race with Gary, and he refers back to something that said uh, person had done, and then he goes, uh, "Oops, I mean Kerry Bailey."
2: <laughs> yes, yeah, it, it was synonymous with it, wasn't it? it was. And there was a certain uh, commentator yeah. at um, where was it, Oran Park, that brought it out on national TV one day. In fact, it was Warren Luff's dad. Oh. <laughs> and then, I don't uh, know, he got into trouble for that, but uh, he was a bit of a character, that's for sure.
1: Well, I yeah, he, he has been the... a previous guest on the old uh, program as well.
2: Ian Warren, Luff Warren, or, or is that Ian? Ian Luff. Oh, yeah, we've God. had him. He's up your way too. He uh, lives up on the Gold Coast these days. He does. I ran into him at the uh, Motorsport Legends get together, which we have up here once a year. Ah, uh, uh, yes. I uh, oh, may let yes. Luffy into that. Yeah, he's still on fire, believe me. I must have lunch with him one day. That's what we organised.
1: Yeah, Ian Boards will be doing his uh, uh, Legends lunch again next year, try and make that one again.
2: Yeah, it's a good day. And it anyone is... out there listening, you want to try and come to it. It's just a good get-together and lots of legends there, Spencer Martin, Kevin Bartlett, um, Alan Moffat was there a few years ago. Um, yeah, a lot John, of people... John French still goes. He's still a card. <laughs> He did. John Goss was there this year. Oh, there you go. They, they've all aged. I haven't, but they have. I'm <laughs> the, Just looking at um,
1: some of the facts around your uh, Supra, in, I think, eight seasons you ran that car, you won three championships with it.
2: Um, yeah, I reckon you're pretty right there.
1: Hmm. But that... there was a transition period to the Nissan 300ZX, which meant that you are didn't have a vehicle of your own to run for a season. Instead, you jumped into
2: a Honda Prelude that um, a good friend of yours, Greg Crick, had won a championship with. I did. Uh, Greg sold it. I can't remember who too, and then
1: Charlie Sinesi, I think it is.
2: Or was it or was Steve it? Voigt? And then Steve Voigt bought it, and yeah, uh, Charlie would have had it
1: at this stage. I would have thought.
2: It was. Oh no, no. Charlie had it after that. Uh, And it has still got it sitting in the shed in Brisbane. And, um, yeah, I can't remember the fellow that bought it. But, yeah, Steve was good enough to let me drive the car for a season when we uh, ended up going to Perth with it. And that was a damn good little car. Really, really good. But that's while I was building the Nissan, the 300ZX. And, uh, yeah, we had a good run with that. It was um, interesting. I'd never driven a mid-engine car before. And it uh, behaved a little differently, but
0: it was a damn good car. Can I just drag sure. you back to, to 1992 where you won your first championship in the Supra, 179 points, first in the championship, 12 races, four wins and 11 podiums. So every race in that season you were on the podium. What's your your memory? What's your recollection of, of that particular year of, of racing, Kerry? Actually, not too much at all. I can't remember
2: <laughs> too much of what happened there. Um <laughs> Yeah, I might have to go back over those days. I'm sure if I saw where we where did we race?
0: Oh, you know, Park Amaru Park Calder surface, probably or Lakeside.
2: 1992.
1: He actually wasn't on the podium in one of those races.
2: Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. I do remember it now. We we ran up here on the Gold Coast. That was they were good days on the long track. It was wonderful. Oh yeah, and uh, yeah, great time. Those, sure. those, those, those. Uh,
1: some of those races are on YouTube now too. Well worth having another look at.
2: Yeah, I think that was my first and only visit to Amaroo Park, and we we qualified all right there. I, I must say it was a bit dangerous, but um yeah, short, a, short little, lap. <laughs> oh, short lap, and that what well, do they call it? The bus stop or something? Oh, we, was... uh, stop go. Stop go, that'll do. Yeah, it um yeah, you wouldn't want to have a mishap there, that's for sure. And I know what few people did.
0: Kerry, is it, tra- is it dangerous in hindsight or did, back in nineteen ninety two, did you think it was dangerous or was it just another track you had to go to and conquer?
2: Oh, you didn't worry about it, then you just accepted it and and the, you know, the bus or whatever sort of stop go. Um yeah. Yeah, that was a bit fearsome, but you just accepted it the way it was. And you look back now, and you think, oh my God, it was shocking. I even Calder down the back of the, the back straight at Calder, with uh, there wasn't much runoff area. But that's no not much different to QR is now. Like you wouldn't want to come off there with a jam throttle. So there's a few tracks around that have got a few problems. But back in the day, you just accepted it It was just the way it was. And the cars, you look at them now. Like with the Tirana, we had half a roll cage in it, and it was mm-hmm. aluminium. You wouldn't have wanted to roll that over, and the safety's got way better over the years,
1: which is a good thing.
2: Do you, <laughs> you you had,
1: as I said, you had that uh, year in um, the Honda where you actually had thirteen races and podium eight times. The um this was the transition period from the Supra to the Nissan. What motivated you to move from what was a pretty successful car to a new car?
2: I'd looked at Keith Carling's uh, 300ZX and um, I really loved it. I I just liked the shape of it. That's the only reason. So I decided to, I needed a new car and ended up buying Keith's car, which I didn't even take delivery of, but I had the moulds, the um, fibreglass moulds filled the body. So um, actually that car went to Phil Ryle and Graham Bailey actually bought it and built uh, the, the old Keith Carling Nissan. This, I, I noticed a few people on Facebook get it messed up. The Keith Carling Nissan was dismantled, and then Phil Ryle built a new chassis for Graham Bailey, the chickadee chicken man. And uh, I had the moulds and built the my, my 300ZX, and uh, that was a very, very good car. First time out, we were 0.02 of a second off the lap record at Oran Park. Mm-hmm. And it had never turned a wheel um, until we put it on the track on Friday. And we hardly had any practice at all. The record there was a 41.19, which was the Calibra that's racing now. And uh, we did a 41.21 first time out. It was um, very proud of that, actually. So That
1: was Mark Stenson's Calibra at the time, I would imagine.
2: That's exactly right. He did yep. a good job in that. Then yep. we went back the next meeting because there was a couple of meetings there in a row and we did a 40.98 the only time a sports sedan's ever done a 40. Hmm.
1: very good the, well, Carrie, uh, you've th-
0: done uh, you've come out on debut with new cars twice in your career and done very very well and we'll we'll, we'll get to the aston at one point but there's a, a point about the the 300zx that i didn't know that you you it did so well and and uh setting lap records and stuff like that as well there. So. That's uh, that is fantastic. Yes, you, you mentioned the the 300 ZX shape of the car that you, you you fell in love with. And what was it? What is it about that? Is it the wedge shape of it, or it's, it doesn't really have sweeping lines like the the Aston did? It was more of a straight lines and wedge shape. Was is that what it was?
2: Yes, it was purely visual. There wasn't much common sense to it. It was just a good looking car. And the body we built was slightly different to the Carling car. It wasn't quite as wide in the back, and and the, there was a few alterations we did. But, I, yeah, I just like the shape of it, as with the Aston. That's the only reason I built the Aston. It looked good.
1: Yeah. And, of course, the, uh, the other major difference between yours and Keith's car was that Keith was a V6 twin turbo and yours was a Chev V8.
2: Well, yes, that's right. But when... Um, When Phil got it, they put a V8 in it and the uh, engine was sold off and I ended up with some engine parts which were sold off, some of which went to Speedway, believe it or not. And um, Yeah, so the turbo disappeared after that because it was fairly troublesome and that was in the early turbo days and they they just didn't have the knowledge to... Yeah, they just didn't know how to make them work properly in those days and engine management would have been a problem and I know it used to blow head gaskets all the time. In fact, it didn't have a head gasket; it had an O ring. And um, yeah, she was a bit of a troublesome beast. That, but I got it. Went like hell. Off. I drove <laughs> it at Lakeside once, and uh, just in practice, and it certainly had some gristle.
0: Kerry, there must have been, you know, you've just you've just touched on about a dozen different iterations of, of you know, cars changing, trading different bits and pieces. There must have been a fair bit of wheeling and dealing going on in and in pit lane, in the paddock, and. In between race meetings, am I true in that assumption?
2: It probably was, but I didn't really get to have much to do with that. Um, yeah, I was a little bit of a loner in some ways, and I, uh, I just did my own thing. And uh, but yeah, there was a lots of cars being swapped and bits and pieces going everywhere. But um, yeah, I just stuck to myself and always built everything myself. And uh, yeah, that's the way it happened.
0: You end up being the master of your own destiny doing it that way and not relying on other people, don't you? And I guess the, the tyranny of distance being Tasmania probably helped that a bit as well.
2: Yeah, it was a little bit awkward down there, but, you know, we made it work and it was, yeah, it was good. Although the um the Nissan was built in Queensland and then the Aston was built in the same place. So, um yeah, every one of them uh, became safer. The Aston was extremely safe. That was a... A real good car, very safe.
0: I just wanted to touch on you mentioned that you did the the Bathurst one thousand in ninety six with Max Dumsney under the the John Sydney racing banner. What was the the transition to that, I guess out of the the sports sedan being in the in the super at the time and then jumping into a, a, a professional touring car team. was there was there much difference? Was it a glaring difference or was it fairly similar? from running the sports sedan to getting in the touring car or that was early supercars, but, uh, um, much difference in, in feeling the the race meeting at that stage. Um,
2: I didn't think the, uh, touring car was as nice as the sports sedan to drive because the sports sedan was lighter and had more power. Um, certainly the touring car was a bit different. I wouldn't say I was a lover of it, but then if that's what you've been brought up with, you get used to them and, you know, the fellas driving them then and now are very good at what they do, but they're driving a lot and they've got a lot of people on pit crew and and it's so hard to compare that to an individual turning up a race, meeting with a couple of weekend warriors and uh, going racing. But uh, I must say, and I remember Bob Tyndall, who's no longer with us, said one day with the touring cars when he was working on the Alcare Commodore, he just said, it's not fun. He said uh, it was so much more fun racing sports sedans. And, and he was talking about the commitment and, and just the people, they were just so committed and it wasn't fun, the fun he wanted to have because he was a good bloke.
1: Well, it's a business, wasn't it? Well, it still is. It's a business where, where to the sports sedan, or to most of the sports sedan guys, it's a, it's a hobby.
2: Absolutely. And that's where the fun comes into it. I thoroughly enjoy preparing the car and then driving to the meeting and and, in fact, I must say, uh, I love everything until about Sunday lunchtime when we're thinking of packing up, and then I get quite <laughs> bored with the meeting, but uh, the build-up is, is great. You mentioned we, those
0: you... you mentioned those early IndyCar days, which we've only just had for the first time. I can't remember, Gaz. How how many years between sports and being on the Gold Coast? 18 years oh, or something?
1: No, it's been quite a while. I can't tell you exactly, but, yeah, it's been a while. And different
0: track now to what was seen, of course. Yeah, yeah. Kerry referred to it as the, yeah. the longer track. But yeah. that was a, a glittering display of sports sedans. You know, that, as Gaz said, there's some, there's some old footage on the net these days as well. And it's to watch <laughs> it back, there was, you know, there was the likes of Tate Longhurst in that M3, which they tweaked a bit to, to run in the sports sedans. But it was certainly Cricky that was doing very well. What was it like to roll out on the Gold Coast with a, with a sports sedan in, in those days? Yeah, oh, it was great.
2: And there was cars you hadn't even seen. They just seemed to come out of everywhere. And then um, Mark Petch would bring that uh, peanut slab. Uh, what was it? A uh,
1: Ford Merca, forward which is a Sierra, basically. But yeah. it was a sports version of a the Sierra. They just couldn't use the name in New Zealand because it belonged to Chev, I think. And they called it a Merka.
2: Yeah, and, and there was a, a few other cars.
1: Kane he Scott drove it, I think, from memory, didn't he? Kane Scott?
2: He did, he did. He did. Yep. Actually, I'll tell you a little story there. One day, Kane and I, we did. I don't, We had a disaster in qualifying. We are right down the back of the grid and he said, what are we going to do? We're never going to win this damn thing. <laughs> and uh, I said, just follow me on so the warm-up <laughs> lap. We actually were out and round everyone, and we got up to about six or something. We, we, it was all wrong. We shouldn't have done it. So we ran the race. I think Kane broke down, and I, I might have even won it, and they took the race off me. But <laughs> it was good because we knew it was going to be on TV
0: and it worked. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, she's had a couple uh, of years off after that event, Kerry. Yeah. <laughs> the probably. stewards sent you on a
2: holiday.
1: I I wanted wanted to just go back to your first championship
2: win in 1992. That was at Mount Panorama. You remember that meeting? I do remember that. And I think Des was on my tail, and Brian Smith was there in the Alpha. Brian Smith
1: admitted he led going into that round. He was leading the championship, but he admitted that he wasn't comfortable racing at Mount Panorama. And your race has finished on a Saturday. If you remember correctly, yeah, yeah and, um, right. I walked into the Leeds Club at about 9 30 on the Saturday night and I heard my name yelled out from the top of the stairs by some drunken yobbo that just won a national championship.
2: <laughs> oh, I knew you were going to bring that one up, but I do remember that well. That was a big night, but they were great <laughs> nights down there in those days. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Half
1: the fun of racing at, at, in those support categories and state level, is the is the camaraderie you get on the Saturday and Sunday nights?
2: That was what it all was about, and uh, yeah, we had some great times, didn't we? Especially uh, after the meetings and in the in the trailers and that they were they were great.
0: There's a reason, Gaz, why the 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 cocktail bar, as it was correctly called, but uh, the middle bar in the Isle of Wight Hotel at Cowes was was known as the Sports Sedan Bar, and uh, that there was a reason for that, because that's where you'd find all the Sports banners <laughs> That's the old Isle of Wight. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, about. it's burnt down now, sadly. <laughs> Rest in peace, the Isle of Wight.
2: Yeah, they were good days, weren't they? Mm. Everyone's a little bit prim and proper these days, but then again, I haven't been there for, what, five or six years now, but... Yeah, good days. you always remember that. So I think I better get back into it, hadn't
0: I? <laughs> yeah, I reckon. I reckon only just to just to uh, uh, and and if you haven't, I recommend that you listen to our very first podcast, which was with Tony Riccadello, and he listed you off as one of the. Uh, well, I can't remember exactly what it was, but he said Kerry had come and get in your head and play mind games with you. No, I think he'll say
1: well. Tony Kerry had always asked the question, have you spoken to Tony yet? Yeah. What ties was he running? <laughs> oh, he said he was just running old shit, shitters and wasn't running any new stuff at all. And yeah. the look on Kerry's face was
2: I think he was having a lender me. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> Mick Monteroso wasn't much better either. He told some stories. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they... There's certainly been some characters. But yeah. that's what it's about. Life's about fun. And, and I feel these days there isn't the fun in it. And maybe it's because there's more money involved. I don't know. But And, and, and here we are. We're getting older too. So we're, we're talking 40 years ago. So things were different then as well. Gary, and, and you, you, you mentioned
0: hilarious and sports sedans. I mean, if you were not a motorsport person or you let's say you came from another country and you saw sports sedans, one of the reactions could be to laugh because they are so wild and winged and massive tyres. But the 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 whole concept of sports sedan is quite, you know, it's there's a bit of hilarity involved in it. And it's the beauty of sports sedans is that everyone has their own engineering solution for the same problem. And that's where the cars come into their own, isn't
2: it? Exactly. And I remember we were racing at the Grand Prix in Adelaide once and their Formula One mechanics were all out on the, um, probably when you can stand next to the fence um, they're out there and they wonder what the hell these things were, with different sounds and everything and they used to like it I think we ran there a couple of times I know one race was very wet, I was in the Supra and it went extremely well But oh, that's right, it's maybe the Supra and the 300 there um, but yeah, they were pretty astonished by these weird looking things
1: And because every every vehicle is different too so the the engineering comes down to as you said you worked on the car yourself but your uprights wouldn't fit anyone else's cars and vice versa and all the other little intricate things that
2: were different about them yeah that's probably the silly part of the sports today nothing fits anything else and then you you look at a like a ta2 car and everything fits everything and but that's not what sports sedans are about, so mm. it's it's like a yacht, you know. So many people build yachts or boats, and it's their creative flair that made the thing. And the sports sedan is the same. There's some basic rules which I note aren't always followed, but um, yeah, there's some there's somebody's for creation.
1: That was the other thing I was going to touch on. Yacht, the yacht uh, technology came in in a big way in the creation
2: of the Aston Martin. Uh, You mean from the way it was built originally? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There was, uh, yeah, that was uh, rather interesting how we created that. And for anyone who doesn't know, we bought an 18th scale model, or I bought an 18th scale model, and it was scaled up with a, uh, it was was probably too hard to explain on here. But anyway, we scaled up the 18th scale model and made it like you would a boat with ribs and frames and things. And, And then it was, um, once we had the basic shape, we uh, covered it with, um, whether it be wire netting or expanded metal or whatever, and then that's all glassed and fared up as they uh, do with the yacht, and then you get out with uh, rubbing boards and and create the shape, and uh, I know that sounds fairly basic, but that car was so good, and it was so close. I remember Tony Quinn came to us at QR and and reckon we certainly, I won't say how he said it, but um, (laughs) there might have been the odd swear word in there. But uh, (laughs) it was as good as anything you've ever seen. And uh, it was Dennis Bedford. Uh, He was the creator and um, and, and he had help from others. But it was so good, we ended up getting a windscreen off um, Tony Quinn. As a fellow wanted to build a road car, a carbon fibre road car, and the windscreen from Tony Quinn's proper Aston fitted in this thing. It was that close. So <laughs> yeah, I know man. that sounded. Yeah, it's. Um, it was very good. So did, Tony and initi- got that. so did Tony <laughs> actually think that it was a uh, Aston Martin? Well, we, we didn't hide the fact that we made this thing, so he probably knew. No, he, yeah. he was well aware that uh, Harrod had been made. In fact, we had the photos out of there. Oh, okay. And... Uh, no, I can't say what he said. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but he, he reckoned we had too much time, for sure. And, and it, it was it was good. And, in fact, when we do... If I do another one, it'll be another Aston. I'd like to build an Aston Martin Vulcan. and um, <laughs> it, But it will be done on computer this time. And uh, so much simpler. Like that was uh, when we built that. I think that started about 97, 98 when that uh, body was built.
0: So, Kerry, and- just say that clearly into the into the microphone again, Kerry Bailey is going to build an Aston Martin Vulcan for the Australian Sports Sedan Championship, yeah? <laughs> yeah <it should laughs> hold the, the presses, hold the presses.
2: Well, be the only Aston Martin Vulcan racing in the world. So I don't look Aston Martin. You know, they they might not like it, but they'd have to say the the DBR9 looked the part. It was a beautiful looking car, and it still is. Know, it's proud that it. If if I was to build a Vulcan, it would be equally as good, and uh, so they shouldn't have a problem with it. And I'm not selling them and making money, so they I don't think they can have a go at me. But um, uh, yeah, if I did do another one, it would be a Vulcan. And I just love the shape of them. They're beautiful.
0: I reckon that'd uh, make the guys from the Westbury uh, rethink their rolling out the Alpha one more time, wouldn't it? They'd have to uh, have a think of something a bit sexier than that. (laughs) Yeah, probably.
2: Although um, there is a rumor that he's got another car around, but I'm sure with Tony, he's older now and he's got the commitment with children and it's a huge effort to build another car. Yeah. In fact, if I if I built another one, I probably wouldn't build the chassis myself. I, the, just the time taken and, you know, we're running out of time and uh, I'd get somebody else to do it this time. I'd I'd uh, commission, um, I know exactly who it is, to, to do the body and we'd build it very much like the DBR9 was built and uh, with the lift-off body and uh, the engine would be back further and I would sit back further. It's It'd be a good-looking thing. It'd make people... Of course, uh, you would probably assist a little bit in the
1: design of the Aston when they freed up some of the regulations regarding sports sedans as far as what part of the original car you had to have.
2: Well, I didn't know, and I obviously hadn't read the rules, but apparently if the original car had a steel chassis, uh, that was all good. Or The original car must have a steel chassis, and I didn't know it, but the Aston, the real Aston... Um, the road car had an aluminium chassis. Correct me if I'm wrong there, but there was a bit of hullabaloo about that and I had no idea that people should be happy to see new cars out instead of bitching and whinging about that sort of stuff. Yeah, okay, it wasn't quite right. But I'm sure when those rules were written, there were no cars with aluminium chassis.
1: Well, you imagine if someone wanted to build an NSX Honda, how much trouble they'd be in, if that's the case. It's What's all the,
2: aluminium. Yeah, well, there you go. And uh, that's mm. stupid. Like, mm. let let cars race. It's so damn silly. You know, if, if you want to be picky about that, maybe they should go and, and have a look at the regulations because I know there's a lot of cars out there now that aren't quite right. Sorry, well, boys, I, I had the W in there, but you're not reading the rules. Well, the thing is that now the
1: rules are different to what they were back when you probably were running your LJ Tirana. You had to have a car that... If you had a, a Tirana, it had to have the roof, the floor, the A and the C pillars. That had to be, that part of the car had to be intact. The rest was just bolt on whatever you want to do. But now you can do more with your car. You can have a full space frame underneath and have a body draped over the top
2: of it. Yeah, that's only common sense. And and mm. the safety aspect so much better with a um, tube frame and a well, space frame, I should say. Um, the cars of yesteryear were quite unsafe. I, I don't know how some people survived, but um, yeah, they're so much better now.
0: Kerry, 2012 you rolled out with this Aston we've been talking about. Um, and like you did with the with the 300 you at the end of the year, you had uh, walked away with the championship and I think you know Tony riccadello and Darren Hossack were, Quite amazed with the pace and and I think consistency as well that you you took to the twenty twelve season awesome. and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Gaz. You might remember this better at Malala in the Clem Smith Cup. Tony's car burnt, nearly burnt to the ground on Friday. No, and, um, yeah, and Darren had a bad, bad incident. Yeah, exactly.
1: So they jumped in. Uh, Tony took over Bob McLaughlin's Commodore yeah, and yeah. and uh, Darren had. Uh, Fitzner's Falcon.
0: Yes, I'm a Fitzner's
2: Falcon, yeah. We'd yeah. have been putting mothballs for about
1: eight years. Hadn't seen the light of day. you remember that, Kerry? Well,
2: I do. And poor old Tony that day when it caught fire, he drove up to the flag marshals on the fire, where whatever it is, and there was no extinguishers there. It was terrible. Yeah. But that was uh, Friday practice when there was not yeah. much of anything yeah. there. So that yeah, that's se- that
0: season, Kerry, you you, you came in with a new car and um the the rent depot Aston Martin, as I think it was known as, um that came rolling out and it was all cameras, all eyes were were looking at at Kerry and then all of a sudden you'd lost none of your pace. In fact, you'd gained pace. You were on it straight away and and started winning races. Must have must have felt great.
2: Yeah, it's very rewarding to do that. Um, when we rolled the Nissan out, that was even better in that it had never turned a wheel. The first uh, practice at Oran Park on the Friday, it was it was good. Then with the Aston, we actually did go and have two days testing at uh, Goldman and pretty confident. That everything was good. There was only one little problem that we had uh, at all, and that was the front splitter was dragging on the ground because it, we hadn't made it quite um, stiff enough. But uh, no, that car never gave any problem. In fact, the Nissan was so trouble-free.
0: The Aston was trouble-free. Um, hardly had a thing go wrong with it. So what is it, um, Kerry, with the, the people that buy these cars off you once you've won championships with them? they The next time they roll them out, they just can't get their head around it. The, um, you know, the, the 300 we've seen a couple of times come out. It's changed colour um, and it gets put away. The the Aston certainly hasn't returned to its um glory, I guess. Um, is there something that, that Kerry Bailey sets up about our sports sedan that is is unique and wins races?
2: Look, I, I tend not to fiddle with them. If it's working, um why mess with it? And I've always had that philosophy. And any you know, you go home and think how hey, you could do it better and make little adjustments, but um, I'm not getting into why those cars might have had a few problems, but um yeah, it's a bit sad really, because it makes me look bad at times as well, but I will say that neither of those cars had one screw taken out of them when it was sold, but we'll leave it at that.
1: the um you you sold the Aston Martin and this moved on. Was there a tear in the eye when that
2: went? yeah, it was it was sad. I I've thought back about that many times, but I'd sort of become a little bit disillusioned and I'd been doing it for 42 years and with hardly a break. And I'd sort of had enough. I remember being out in the workshop there one day and I looked at the car and I thought I spent so much time here just playing with it. Like it was never a major problem with it, but just I spent a long time in the shed and I just looked outside and went, no, and I closed the door and didn't come back for, two months, and I was just a bit over it, And but yes, it was sad, and uh, that was a beautiful car. It was uh, very safe and uh, a lovely thing to drive. The Nissan was probably, the Nissan was a faster car, probably because it was a little bit lighter, but um, uh, the Aston was just a good thing.
0: Did you look at any of the other cars that you'd race against? You mentioned a couple of names, you know, Mick Monteroso and and things like that. That escort sort of defies uh physics and geometry as well. But did you look at any of those other sports sedans around you and 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 think, gee, wow, what a beautiful looking piece of kit. Wouldn't mind it, wouldn't mind a go. A uh, run in the car?
2: Yeah. Um no, I actually didn't. I um I I can't think of a car that I would have liked to have a drive of. I drove the, the turbo Nissan when Keith Carling had it, and uh, yeah, it felt a little bit different to to mine. But um, and the Honda, you drove the Honda. The, the Honda was uh, a good little car. It got the power down very well, and um, yeah, it was a good thing that it didn't have a lot of horsepower. But more horsepower, you have problems. That had a, a DGB Hewland gearbox in it. So if you've had an engine like in the uh, Aston, like that thing had 812 horsepower and it would have just torn the torn the gearbox out of the Hewland. So, um, yeah, it, it, the, the Honda was a good thing. Didn't have a lot of power. Was reliable. Yeah. Um, yeah i really haven't seen other cars that i and well we have so, to beat, but... have to ask
1: the
0: question you have driven john gourlay's <laughs> audi that was on my list too gaz <laughs> 2018 island magic the john gourlay audi had kerry bailey in it
2: it did and kerry bailey didn't do a very good job i i was um i wasn't overly comfortable in it and I had a neck problem at the time, but we're not going to blame that. Um, no, I did. I did a poor job in that car. I was disappointed for John and myself. Um, yeah, probably would have liked more time. Although I, I did have a, a couple of laps in it at Queensland Raceway in the previous round, but the um, a bearing in the diff uh, blew out the side of the uh, housing, and uh, we had we couldn't continue. But um, Yeah, uh, I'm a little bit embarrassed by that because I just couldn't get my head around it.
1: Well, some cars suit people better than others. There's no doubt about that. We've seen that in many categories over the years. People jumping out of something where they're midfielders and get into something else and meet at the front and vice versa.
2: Exactly. And I I don't know whether it was Brock that could, was it Brocky that couldn't drive an open wheel or didn't?
1: Uh, I think I he a did Marana, Formula two. two, yeah, yeah. He had a Formula Two car, but that was all. Even Moffat had a going a
2: Formula Two car one stage, I believe. Yeah, you've got to be happy there, and 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 uh, probably as you get older, you become a little bit more conservative and don't want to hurt yourself. And uh, yeah, that uh, th- there was nothing wrong with the, the Audi. It was a good car, and you've seen that with the two hundred two at Bathurst, but. Um, Yeah, I just couldn't get comfortable, and and I wasn't right in my head either. So, um, no excuses. I've got to blame myself for all that.
1: Yeah, no, I see too that you, I think it was one of Steve Boyd's Porsches, you had a run in the um, Victorian Tourist Trophy. 2014. Mm. Was
2: that in 2014? Oh my God. That was a good little car, but uh, I ended up, um, there was a fellow. Brake check, or whatever you call it, and I just dabbed his rear bumper and it would have dislodged the uh, radiator and ended up with coolant running everywhere. So that again was my fault. I got a bit close to him because there was a restart. I remember it well. And um, yeah, he just jammed the brakes on at the wrong time, and I uh, put a hole in the radiator. But yeah, that so was that, a, how, did, how
1: did that sort of come about? That's sort of left field for you
2: at the time. Uh, I've already had a couple of them actually and uh mm. asked me to drive one and um yeah it was it was interesting different um yeah probably wouldn't go back there but it was just a totally different thing
0: Kerry, just a, a different tact here. what was your favorite car at the favorite track what what car were you behind the wheel of at a particular track and when it doesn't get any better than this yeah
2: uh, Probably my favourite car was the the Nissan, and I remember it was 2000 uh, qualifying, and we did a 67.2 out there, and those times have only just been broken by the Audi, and before that by, um, what was it, the Saab, uh, but a 67.2 back then was a damn good time, and then in the next, this was in qualifying, not the race. This is and QR, was it? Yeah, QR, and uh, then we did a 67.3 in the next session, and um. Yeah, I, that was that was something I do remember. It was so quick then; it was way quicker than Tony had ever been, and, and and Tony's now just getting down to those times. But bear in mind, they were Dunlop tyres; they were very good in qualifying. Um, but yeah, I felt pretty proud of that, and uh, I didn't that, mind. Sorry,
1: was that the same meeting? Greg Creek had a run in the car on the first day or something.
2: Uh, Cricky and and Steve Voigt had, had driven the car. I don't know whether it was that Thursday. Yeah, probably, it might have been, but yeah, uh, yeah they both had a drive of it.
1: Cricky but no, was that... pretty quick in it, from what I recall. I was yeah. actually talking to him about it not long ago, and he said he it was a he did a quick time, and it didn't, we didn't know exactly what the times were, not having data or anything like that. So he said it was a fast car.
2: And, and, you know, it never had a lot of horsepower. It was uh, never had 700 horsepower. The best it ever was was about 685. And if that had the uh, Aston engine in it, which was an SB2 NASCAR, uh, that would have been a rocket ship. Absolutely wonderful car. It was just, uh, you know, the Aston's more refined, but the Nissan was just fast, so fast.
0: What was it about that particular event that you you know you, you pulled that out pretty quickly on a question without notice sort of thing what was it about the car in that weekend at that racetrack that you you felt comfortable and and obviously fast at what was it something you couldn't repeat again or was it just something that was freaky about that day and that race um i don't know
2: actually let me think about that um yeah, probably the conditions out there that morning. But then again, it was the same for everyone. Uh, when, we, when we rolled the, the Nissan out, you're talking about when I first brought the Nissan out or at QR that day?
0: Yeah, no, QR that day. The the question was, you know, what was the your best day in the best race car when you were behind the wheel? Uh, what was it that was so good about that day, that race car with you behind the wheel that was stand out above every other day you did laps in a race car?
2: Well, that car was always quick, especially in qualifying. Um, you know, don't know. Maybe I was feeling good. I'm not sure. But but see, when I go back to when we first brought the Nissan out, that did uh, was 0.02 of a second off the lap record straight out. That was in qualifying, first first run in a first time practice it ever had. So it was a fast car, and so that day at um, QR. I don't know. It's just the way it was. It was a good thing.
0: Yep. Yeah, yeah, that, and that's the answer to the question. That's you know, obviously what the answer is. Kerry, we're um we're rapidly coming to uh to the end of our time, but there's a, a couple of things that, that both Gaz and I like to ask at the at the end of this, and you can again choose to leave it on the table if you want. The, the first question is: You drive into the racetrack and you see someone's trailer or transporter or something there, and you go, "Oh no, not that." so-and-so, I don't want to race with him again. I do not enjoy that guy's company, even with the helmet on and in a race car. And what was your single best day at a racetrack result-wise? Could have been your mates you were with, whatever, the sun was shining. So there's a a two-part question.
2: Jeez, I wish I had given it to me in two parts. Um, (laughs) I I never really had a problem with anyone at the track. Um, Some of the middle tail enders are a bit dangerous out there because they don't use their mirrors but no i never had a problem with anyone um they might have had a problem with me but i no i there was no one i didn't
0: like so the, um, the fact it's... that kerry bailey came past and tore the stickers off the side of their car and qualifying was uh was a problem for them wasn't it did i do that <laughs> no <I'm> just...
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't remember that i remember a very dear mate of mine paul minor had in tassie was a handicap race and he still talks about it to this day. There was a gap going up the hill and I thought, well, i would just drive the old Tirana between them and Tori's mudguards and everything off. That was, was a good day. <laughs> He's never forgiven me for that. But uh, now what was the second part of that question? The second second
0: part was, and I, well, I think of, I think already answered that second part. Yeah. I, I sort of put it to a result or something like that was your single best day at the racetrack where it was, you know, whether it was just sitting there and you had the sun on your back and it was lovely to watch the cars go by or, you're on the podium and you had the big trophy or whatever it was, a, a single best feeling from a, from being at a racetrack.
2: I don't know whether it was a single best one silly single best was uh, when I won the last championship at uh, Goulburn. I was, I was running third and I was right on. Um, we had this uh, engine in it that had no horsepower, but the times were good. It did a, a 57.8 there back in those days, which was pretty good. This was in the Aston and, and then I finished third, Tony and Darren, I believe it was in those days, uh, had a hell of a race. And yeah, we were all having a good race. And I got back into the pits and everyone's jumping around and everyone's happy. I said, what's happened? I'd forgotten I'd won the title. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was a bit of a surprise, but I wasn't thinking about the title. I was just enjoying the day and, and having a good race with them. So to to
1: wrap up uh, one final question for me who was the best person to race with dice wise that sort of thing even off track who who was i i would have i had somebody in mind but i just wanted
2: to hear what you thought oh god well, there's a few elements to that question the best person the fastest fellow i ever raced against was gary scott when he was in the jaguar um, you, we probably don't remember that, but he was fast. Yeah, um, that was back in the when was that? Nineties. Yep. And um, uh, John, was,
1: J- that was in Tranaus Jag, wasn't it? It was. Yes.
2: He was. He was fast. Didn't bring it back straight, but it, it was fast. <laughs> um, and Mark will tell you that every time we have lunch in Brisbane. He tells me the same thing. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, there's been lots of characters over the years, lots of crazy ones. That Yeah, I don't know whether anyone stands out. Um, that, well, I shouldn't say it that way. Um, they all stand out. But I just can't put my finger on somebody that uh, was special because they're all special.
0: Lovely sentiment, Kerry. Very lovely sentiment because I think maybe most of the people in the sports at Ann Paddock will, uh, will listen to this and say, yeah, you're pretty special too, Kerry. Thanks for the, the memories. <laughs> and uh, certainly the the future memories of the Vulcan are going to be uh, something to be trackside for. I reckon that will get bums on seats around ra- racetracks around Australia. Well,
2: it probably will, and I probably shouldn't say anything about it because now they'll be on to me with where is it. And <laughs> You're never gonna hear the end of it. How's the Vul- How's the Vulcan going? Is it ready oh, and yet? That, and that's like the Aston when we built that. You know that dragged out, but it, it was what I wanted. And uh, maybe I should have had more people helping me on the car because there was only uh, Steve King and myself, and um, we put it together. And yeah, there's a few things we could have done differently, but I enjoyed it. It was a great time, and just um, yeah, good Do fun. you
1: do you actually feel like you should be out? Having a drive in something still to keep like 2018 is
2: going back a bit now. Yeah, it is going back a bit. No, look, I think I needed the break. Um, I've had a few other things happening that were taking my time and uh, really on top of that um, with a, a business venture in Tassie. Um, yeah, I, I think I've appreciated the break. The only thing with building another car the time and I say it doesn't take me long to prepare it because they're reliable, but there is still a fair bit of time and I want to be able to travel and do things that I want to do. And it will be great to go back and race again, but it does take time, even driving there, driving back, loading it, just getting all that stuff right. And, uh, yeah, you've got to be in love with it. And, and that's probably what I was out of love with this. Um, I was spending too much time on my own in the, in the, Workshop and yeah, I just got fed up. at forty-two years, I didn't do a bad job. There's Great. one thing that
1: we neglected to, to touch on, and I think we should. It's the race we in New Zealand.
2: <laughs> yes, <laughs> I was ready <waiting> for it.
1: <laughs> and it's probably a good way to uh, end end our uh, chat is uh, to talk about what happened over there, Timaru, wasn't it?
2: Yes, or they the locals call it levels, but we call it Timaru. And Farlap was born just a few kilometres away, which has got nothing to do with motor racing. But uh, people say force power was, of a sort. It's where Farlap was born. Yeah,
1: um, we're claiming that's our own.
2: Yeah, sorry, go on. Anything theirs is ours, and what's ours is ours. Yes. So what was the question with it? About, you want to know him, about
1: yeah, where you got your nickname Fireball and uh Ugh. what happened
2: down there. Well, that was Voighty he came up with that. <laughs> he um yeah, he used to call me Fireball, but I know he got a he got a phone call. And um he got a phone call after the accident and um he said, Oh, how's fireball going? And they went, well, uh, Steve, um, fireball is actually fireball. He's had a big one and poor old Steve didn't know what to say and uh, I probably would have been the same. But, um, yeah, that was uh, Steve Voigt began the fireball thing. But do you want to know what happened with the the crash? Yes, please. Right. Um, It was the last race of the day and and we hadn't been having a bad, a good run, sorry. Um, I don't know what it was, but we just, the Australians weren't doing as, well as we'd hoped And I was a bit over it and ready to go home And the last race The uh, tail shaft broke Coming down the, the straight The uh, pit straight And uh, that consequently started Going mental in the middle of the car and, and Bits and pieces were flying off And went through the fuel tank And um, The time from When the bang happened to when the fire Started um and when the fire started it just exploded inside the car but i could just see uh that there was a pocket of air above the roof that didn't have fire in it and i'd say it was probably airflow that was keeping the fire down or something really don't know it doesn't matter so um i was in a bit of trouble and i uh it had been raining quite hard on saturday so the infield was very slippery but i had to stop this thing and get out of it and um yeah, the fire was rather intense. I, I ended up with a burnt face, burnt eye, uh, eyebrows, eyelashes, um, even the hair in my nose got burnt out. And I was a bit of a mess in the face. But um, And I could feel the pain in my hand in the fire, but I couldn't do anything about it because I had to stop this damn thing and, and get out of it. So I worked out the quickest way was to go across the infield and somehow turn it on wet grass and crash it backwards into the wall because it, it's interesting how the brain works. I didn't want to crash it head on into the wall because that was going to cause too much damage. So amazing. Uh, Anyway, I I went across the infield and slowly turned it and crashed it backwards into the fence. And um, it was flaring up and going down and there's some photos. In fact, there's not many, but um, I have photos of uh, the fire in the car. They look, they reckon it looked like uh, Apollo 11 or 13 or whatever, coming back into the atmosphere. The flames are belching out the windows and, it wasn't real pretty, mm. and um, but then that'd go down because obviously the fuel vapors had burnt, and but then it'd start up again, and it was up to the almost to the top of the roof or the underneath the side of the roof. So I crashed into the wall, and I thought I've got to get out of this thing pretty quickly because the stinging on my hands and legs, which were burnt, face probably not so much, and I went to reach for the door handle which was outside because there was no inside door handle and I couldn't reach it because of the window net. Now, somewhere in the brain, I had decided, well, I've got to go out through the window net and by by accident, whatever, the window net had melted enough to let me actually go through it. And Mm. I rolled on the ground and stood up and the leg was stinging pretty bad, but I looked down and the uh, race suit was quite burnt, and I thought, oh, no, because I wanted to go home, and I thought, I'm not going home. We've got a problem here. And then I peeled my glove off, and all the skin came off uh, in the glove, and uh, we had a problem all right. And uh, <laughs> the face, yeah, stinging, probably not as bad as when you burn your finger on the stove, but it was not super painful. And I I really mean that. It... it um, I just appreciate getting out because another few seconds in there would have been fairly ugly, I'd say. Mm. Um, then the car was on fire and I was more worried about that. And they actually emptied 22 fire extinguishers on it. But the problem was the fuel tank had emptied fuel onto the ground and the ground was on fire. And they were trying to put out the fumes coming out of the ground. So then uh, Roddy Woods, actually, one of the Australian drivers, he said, let's, let's push the car off the off." Uh, the, the flames And then they were able to put it out So there was a fair bit of damage to the car But um, Andy Farr again Came to the rescue And we had a few weekends on the car And uh, rebuilt it And away we went So I had a, a week in the hospital there And they wanted to do skin grafts And God knows what Which didn't happen And uh, I recovered And um, yeah, it was all good Actually um,
1: uh, Ray Aiton rang me on the Monday morning Uh, I was on the Gold Coast because the Gold Coast event was on the same weekend. That's right. And uh, he told me the whole story and everything. And he also tells another great story as well about uh, a proposal you made to a young (laughs)
2: lady
1: (laughs) Um, that happened in Paris under the Eiffel Tower. (laughs) And then he said after that you took her to Macca's for dinner.
2: He sort of... Put a bit of colour in there, I think. He
0: didn't quite yeah. get it right. What the golden on, arches of the color?
2: No, it was <laughs> on top of the Eiffel Tower, actually. Oh, and he, okay. <laughs> and Tom Cruise proposed to Penelope Cruise two weeks later. So I was doing something right. Right. Uh, yeah. The McDonald thing is not right. <laughs> I haven't had McDonald's <laughs> for about 40 years. So that is definitely wrong. But anyway, it was Quite colourful in the way. Yeah,
1: but it it made a good story though. And at the time, I remember when he first told me, you were standing there, and you said, "I did not," (laughs) very quietly but very firmly.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. You've got to put a bit of colour in there. It makes it sound better.
0: Maybe you need to be told, Gaz. (laughs) Leave our guest alone. (laughs) Uh, It's all good stuff. Hey, Kerry. Just on that touching, you know, on the on the Vulcan and other things like that. John Gourlay does have another Audi. It's ninety nine percent finished. Uh, maybe a quick call through to him. You could uh, help develop that one in your direction. Yeah, I I actually get a lot of pleasure
2: out of building this stuff myself. Or you know, obviously other people help me from time to time. But it's my idea and it's my creation, and that's what I think about. I like about sports sedans and racing, and and. Uh, I believe I get more pleasure out of doing that than racing somebody else's car. Look, I appreciate them letting me use it, and they've been very good to me over the years. But it's my toy, and and I know every little part of it, and I just wish to improve it, make it better, and make myself faster. And when with somebody else's car, it's not quite the same. And I guess I guess you're
1: a bit more confident because you know what you got under you, and also you're driving someone else's car, and you think, if I damage it, I've got to pay for it, et cetera.
2: Uh, absolutely correct. And, and mm-hmm. you know, I know that if though I've done something wrong and it's my fault, but just something really silly here, uh, a certain bath, I won't say which one it was, I came in and I said, these brakes just don't seem right. It's pulling a bit to the left. Oh or whatever, and they checked the brake pads in the front of the car and somebody had put one pad in back to front so they Ooh. had the metal up against the disc. <laughs> and Neat. I thought, is this what it's about? Uh, I've got, <laughs> got to prepare it myself. But no, and they said, how bad was I? I said, it actually stopped half all right. <laughs> and it was just pulling a bit, but the brake pad, honestly, the the backing plate was up against the disc.
0: <laughs> so there you go. So on that note, Kerry, we are going to uh, going to thank you very much for a, a wonderful chat. I, I hope you've enjoyed yourself. I know there was a bit of trepidation about joining uh, Gary on uh, on a chat like this.
2: Well, he's been fairly easy on me, I think, and he was no, pretty no, easy been on me with good. That, that Bathurst uh, saga <laughs> in the league's club. But um, <laughs> yeah, look, great times and. Uh, yeah it's 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 wonderful and it's just that friendship and people you meet over the years and you know as we get older we go to that motor racing uh function up here every year and see the legends and and uh yeah you turn up at a racetrack and it's a feel-good thing to see old friends it's just lovely
0: couldn't agree more couldn't agree more kerry bailey thank you so much for joining us on the race fuels grassroots (laughs) racing podcast
2: well, thank you, and uh, I hope it's not another 37. <laughs> no, we'll get you back. Once the bulking hits the track, you'll be back on.
1: <laughs>
2: oh, well, I could say I'll be on fire, but we won't go there. No, not after <laughs> the last story. Absolutely
0: not. Absolutely exactly. not. All right. Thanks, Alan. It's been
2: a pleasure. Thank you. Thank Bye. you, Kerry.
0: Hey, Gaz, terrific to have uh, nothing short of a legend of Australian motorsport, in particular his beloved and our beloved sports sedans, Kerry Bailey. What a a chat.
1: Well, it makes it easy when it's a category that you and I I both love immensely and enjoy every time they run and uh, having coming just off the Gold Coast where they raced up there and they put on a really great effort there. So, yeah, from having Kerry Bailey on was one of our goals when we first
0: set out on this venture, so... It's great to have that one done it certainly is it certainly is and uh well we've had we've had some um you've got to say the calendar has been absolutely jam-packed with uh with racing and and it's tapering off fairly hard after this weekend now isn't it
1: that certainly is we've got uh the Adelaide uh 500 this weekend uh Isle of Magics on this weekend the Geelong Sp- street sprints are on this weekend as well and then the following weekend we've got the final round of the high-tech oils super sprint uh super series at uh, calder park and the kenley hq4 hour up at winton
0: yeah certainly now the australian rally championship concluded um in canberra great place for the series to or the championship to finish and uh boy oh boy if you went in a toyota and your surname wasn't Bates, everything old is new again isn't it (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and it came down to the power stage
1: right at the end as well. What happened, the way it worked out is Harry Bates and Coral Taylor had to win the rally. So let, Let's repeat that. Power Bates stage and Taylor increasing. win
0: the ARC <laughs> again. <laughs> so Coral's yep. got one up on Neil yep. now, hasn't she?
1: Yeah, she's got five. Neil only got four and now Harry's got uh, two, but he had one with a different co-driver before. So, yep. yeah, um, He led by 2.1 seconds, I think it worked out with, um, uh, sorry, 3.9 seconds with the power stage to go. And he won the power stage by 2.1 seconds. So six seconds in the end separated uh, Bates and Taylor and Lewis Bates and Annie McLaughlin in second spot. So fascinating rally that went right down to the wire.
0: I guess the good thing off the back of the depth behind those guys and they weren't too far behind. It wasn't a glaring you know, victory to the two Toyotas. There is such great depth and quality of vehicles and crews in the, in the ARC to end 2023. So I guess the early 2024 is going to see the Australian Rally Championship go from strength to strength. Well, the good thing about that is that the first round next year is in Canberra. Yeah. <laughs> so
1: they basically pick up where they left off this time round. And yes. I think it, Ends in Tasmania, so it's a whole flipped over
0: scenario for them next year. Now, Gaz, you've also had the, the Bathurst International as well in between uh, in between our podcasts. Yeah, that was interesting. Um Unfortunately, the crowd was uh,
1: virtually non-existent, but other than that, the racing was fantastic. James Moffat uh, wrapped up the Trans Am series, and uh, he had to do it the hard way because uh, they had a an oil leak out of transmission, which meant he had. The pit and get back out there and finished in order to beat his teammate Lockie Dalton to take the championship. In uh, Porsche Sprint Challenge, Nash Morris uh, was on fire, won all three races, but in the end, it was Marco Giltrap that won the series, and Sam Shaheen uh, took out the pro and part of that. So, um, uh, as well, we had TCR World Series, TCR, so a super cheap TCR Australia Series. Of course, they had an extra round to go, which was last weekend. Uh, for the World Tour up at uh, Macau, well, whereas uh, Josh Bucken won the Australian Series by beating his teammate, Blaney, Bar- Barley Sweeney, in the um, in the last race. And unfortunately, Barley Sweeney had a DNF in the second race when he led the series coming into the round uh, to miss out.
0: Josh has done a fantastic job this year in that series. I think he's... Uh... He's always been a talented wheelman, but certainly just showed how to how to play a championship. I think he did a brilliant job.
1: Yeah, certainly did a good job. And uh, the good thing about Josh is that he doesn't mind having to run around in some of the other categories as well. Like he'll go and do super TT at in the. Sydney 300 or whatever races are going on, that's club level. He has a
0: bit of a fiddle down there. so. Well, it's kind of where he came from, isn't it, really? That's, well, that's it where is, he's, yeah. he started out and did all his, his developments. So probably a, a good candidate for a grassroots racing podcast. What do you reckon, guys? Yeah, sounds like a good <laughs> idea. Plenty <laughs> of other racing um, you've, you've been to as well recently.
1: Uh, well, I haven't been to it, but keeping an eye on it, uh, the uh, Super Truck Racing Championship finished up at... Uh, Winton on the weekend, and uh, Barry Butwell is a first-time winner. He took out the championship. Uh, I don't think he had the greatest run down there, but to uh, consolidate and win that championship was what he was after, and I guess when you're in that way where you've got to be a little bit conservative and still collect points is the way to do it. Uh, the defending or reigning champion is a better word in Steve Zammett Unfortunately, he missed the opening round. His truck was still in quarantine after racing in New Zealand over their summer. So, unfortunately, um, he was on the back foot. And um, I think he still had some wins up his sleeve, but uh, it wasn't enough to get him across the line. They also had the final round of the Victoria Motor Race Championships there with Super TT, the Excels in Trophy and Masters, and you know those guys pretty well. you have been following them around. They've been doing both. ASA and Motorsport Australia yeah, big, events
0: throughout the year. Big shout out to Cadell Ambrose, uh, second generation driver, son of Rowan Ambrose, who uh, won the championship and did it brilliantly with zero panel damage on his car. Just, just a masterclass in how to do it. I'd say that he didn't win the master, so no, no, he won. He won. The, the outright, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, but the a masterclass system. for anyone watching on <laughs> yes. on how to how to race XLS, and I really hope that you know he can boost his career along and and move on from from um, XLS on to to the next stage of his career. Looking forward to watching how that plays out. Yeah,
1: and the other event that was worth noting was the HQ Nationals were up at uh, Morgan Park, and I think Harvey Towing had a fair bit to do with that meeting because they ran a few cars that had their signage on it and they had a big uh, tow truck that pulls around a big rigs when they break down. But Brett Osborne won his third HQ National title. He won it uh, previously in... Uh, 2016, 2017, uh, got a third one-up a year, and uh, then he dominated. Well, when I say dominated, he dominated the results by winning two of his three heats, a top-10 shootout, and the 20-lap final he led throughout. And he just beat Luke Harrison, who finished a second behind him, and now Luke, unfortunately, also won two heats, but he was the runner-up last year at in Valley when Phil Ashland won the title. So he's had two two bridesmaids, as you were, results, and Phil Ashland um, finished third. So uh, he's, he couldn't quite get there this time around. But uh, certainly 41 entries certainly made it for a um, a pretty good meeting.
0: As you mentioned, uh, of course, the Adelaide 500 returned uh, after a political win last year and again this year. It's going be big and... Big, bold, and beautiful, according to uh, Matt Nolte and Richard Crayle, the, uh, the parochial South Australians all over oh, social media updating. Hear you. all about it all weekend. You are, you are, you, you're, uh, you'll be covering that as well, I guess. I'll be, I'm going over there. I'll be doing
1: some of the support categories for SpeedCafe.com, and uh, all the news and views and reports and everything else will be on Speed Cafe.
0: Calling some races.
1: Ah uh, yes, calling the uh, ARG categories for the weekend.
0: Good stuff. Getting the uh, getting the big guns in for uh, the Adelaide Five. <laughs> no, you're not
1: there. What happened? Oh, like, yeah, the phone didn't in. ring. That's what happened. But uh, know what you invoice your invoices are like, and we can't afford it. Yeah, unpaid
0: at the moment. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Um. Yeah. Of course. Uh. The big, the big celebration, which we look forward to at the end of every season in Victoria, is on Island Magic 2023. Improved Production Formula Open will be there, which is uh, they had their first ever run last year at the at Island Magic. So it's great to have them back. Sports sedans for the the very very spectacular 50k plate worth getting trackside for Formula B, Formula Ford, Porsche 944s, and uh, Formula Ford 1600. So the Ken engine cars. And of course, historic touring cars. It's 40 bucks for the weekend, 30 for Saturday, 35 for Sunday. So, pretty good value for uh, those categories to, to head down to uh, the very picturesque Phillip Island Grand Prix circuit to see the Victorian season round out.
1: Yeah, don't forget the Geelong Street sprints as well, of course, on the Sunday. can yep. be well worth it. It's on both days, actually. So, that'd be well worth going. I'd love to have gone to one of those one day, but. They clash. That's the
0: problem these days. There's more and more meetings that are clashing. It is. It is. Hey, Gaz, that's episode number thirty-eight. Unless you've got anything else to uh, bring to the table. No, no, I think I've covered it all at this stage. We'll, we'll probably night. get told one day we've forgotten something, but yeah, we will. But you know, like no one tells us <laughs> anything, so how can we forget it? <laughs> mushrooms, mate, mushrooms. Well, it's good night from Daz, and it's good night from Gaz. See you at episode thirty-nine.
2: You've just listened to a Speed Cafe Pod Hub production.